3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respects to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to 3CR Breakfast. It's 7am on Tuesday, the 16th of May. My name is Fung, and in the studio we've got Carnegie, Ivkar, and we've got, also got Ashkin in today as well. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Morning. How is everyone this week? Um, really good. This is the week that the second Zelda is released. So. <laughs> um, I'm so excited. Okay, so for any listeners who don't know what or who Zelda is, <laughs> could you tell us a bit more? Okay, so I'm not... I used to be a real big, like, video game kid. And then, you know, as you get older... I think girls especially are really, like, discouraged from, like, that whole culture. And then as an adult, I've been like, you know what, let's get right back into the whole thing. And then my friend got me into Zelda Breath of the Wild in lockdown. And, like, truly, it was the greatest game I've ever played in my life and nothing has ever compared since. Like, I've just been chasing that high (laughs) for, like, two years, three years. And now the sequel is out. Um, So I don't know if anyone ever played Zelda as a kid, but it's really, really, really insanely great. And, like, the level to which that game has evolved is crazy. Um, It's a totally, like, I played on Switch, and it's free play, so you can just do whatever you want in the game. Like, you don't necessarily even have to be completing any necessary quests or anything. You can just walk around the world. That's nice. So Have a good not, time. Yeah, there's no pressure. No pressure. Mm. How do great. you know when it ends or is there no... There, that's the beauty of it. There's no end goal. Well, you, like, you can choose to basically never finish the game if you don't want to. Yeah. You can live forever. in the world forever, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you can finish all the... Like, you have the quests to finish and then a final boss to beat. It exists. <laughs> you don't have to do it. <laughs> anyway, I really recommend. Okay. Mm, well, we look forward to... Your Zelda update next week. Yes. (laughs) Okay, let's have a quick chat about what we've got coming up on today's show. So first up, we'll be hearing from uh, Jem Rommelt from the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, um, who spoke to Elise from Dirt Radio about some anti-nuclear news in light of the budget announcement last week. And then we will be hearing an excerpt from Doing Time, a special May Day episode where Marissa spoke with uh, activist and advocate Maureen McKay about the importance of the voices of people with lived experience in inequalities in security work that Aboriginal people face. Then at 8 o'clock, we'll be speaking with Aisha Jago from the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism about the growing far-right movement here in Victoria and um, the recent campaigns against immigration as well as LGBTQI plus events, particularly drag events for um, kids at libraries. 
And then lastly, we'll be speaking with Elise Cunningham from Friends of the Earth and also a host at Dirt Radio. Tomorrow is going to be a big day of community action uh, organized by Friends of the Earth. So Elise is coming on to tell us all about what's happening this week and how we can get involved. So that's our show coming up today. We'll be back with the news headlines right after this. On May 20, new anti-protest laws will come into effect in Victoria targeting forest protectors. Sign up to be part of a mass survey action to protect and restore forests and defend the right to protest. Surveying is the act of looking for threatened species in an area slated to be logged in order to trigger protections. All forest protectors, whether at protest camps or citizen scientists, are targeted with these new anti-democratic laws. To sign up, go to geco.org.au. Be a part of this epic survey action on Saturday the 20th of May so that we can protect and restore the critical forest ecosystems that we all depend on and defend the right to protest in the process. Goongra Environment Centre is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast. These are our news headlines for this morning. Starting with what's happening in Thailand at the moment, um, Thailand's reformist opposition has won the most seats and the largest share of the popular vote in a general election. This means that for the first time in nearly a decade, voters have resoundingly rejected the military-backed parties that have historically maintained their rule in Thailand. The Move Forward Party, or the MFP, is a progressive youth-led party that contested the general elections for the first time ever on a bold platform of reforming the monarchy and reducing the power of the military by rewriting the country's constitution and ending conscription. This win shows a clear desire for the people of Thailand wanting real change for their country. We'll keep listeners updated on what's going on in Thailand here on Tuesday Breakfast. More local news, um, an update on the Europe Commission. A 70-year-old Torres Strait Islander man has died in, in Victorian custody. Corrections Minister Enver Erdogan told the Europe Justice Commission on Monday that he died in hospital last week. There have now been 34 deaths in Victorian custody, including 24 deaths in correction facilities, with inmates saying conditions that lead to these deaths have not improved. Erdogan also responded for the, uh, apologized for the state's role in Indigenous deaths in custody, noting most fatalities were the result of critical and unacceptable failings in the state's institutions. However, the York Chair, Professor Eleanor Burke, thanked the Minister for his apology, but said it wasn't enough to just acknowledge the trauma that has been caused and real change needs to be made immediately. In other news, Morris Blackburn lawyers released a statement on Friday the 12th of May saying that the firm has welcomed the decision of the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner, or OAIC, that it will now proceed with investigating a representative complaint against Medibank. Morris Blackburn lodged the complaint against Medibank with the OAIC in December 2022 over a major incident that resulted in a data breach of customer information. The breach involved millions of current and former Medibank, AHM and international student account holders. Regular listeners may remember that we spoke with Laura Riccardi from WISE about this data breach and the weaponization of personal healthcare data. Under the Privacy Act of 1988, a breach and uh, sorry, the OAIC has the power to order Medibank to pay compensation to affected customers. 
The complaint alleges that Medibank failed in its duties to take steps to protect the privacy of its customers' personal information and sensitive health information from interference, loss, unauthorised access and unauthorised disclosure. In late March 2023, the OAIC advised the firm it had reached a preliminary view not to investigate the complaint. However, that decision has now been reversed, with the OAIC confirming it will investigate the firm's representative complaint. And just wanted to mention a few events coming up at the new international bookstore, which operates out of um, the Trades Hall basement. Um, lots of them coming up in June. There's the Big Red Book Fair on the 17th of June from 9 to 5, which will be a big event filled with lots of amazing books. Um, there is a movie premiere for old Jeremy Corbyn, Big Lie Australia, coming up on Wednesday, the 24th of May from 6.30 to 8 p.m. And uh, a book talk, uh, Yeelery, 50 Years of Resistance, on... Ooh. I don't know when, but check it out on the Nibs <laughs> website. Um, they've got they've got lots and lots of events coming up from the end of May to the end of June, um, and we encourage all our listeners to check it out and attend. As I said earlier, we'll be speaking with Elise Cunningham from Friends of the Earth about a day of community action tomorrow, uh, just to talk you through what actions are being held. First up, uh, Community Action to Stop Japan's Dirty Energy Plan. This is happening at 10.30am on Burke Street, ahead of the G7 meeting in Japan this weekend. Uh, people will be gathering outside the Consular General of Japan on Burke Street as part of the international campaign to stop the Japanese government's dirty energy plan. There's also a rally for bus reform happening at 12.30pm on Parliament Steps. This rally will be campaigning for bus reform and it has been doing so uh, as part of the Sustainable Cities Collective since mid-2021. So you'll be hearing from the entire... Oh, you'll be hearing from various speakers, um, so please make sure that you um, head down. Uh, This is to support parts of the state who are not being adequately... um, uh, with projects that are not being adequately funded in the latest budget, um, and we'll be speaking with Elise more about this later this morning. Finally, last week on Thursday breakfast, uh, the team spoke with um, the CEO of Harm Reduction, Victoria Sione Crawford, about Victoria's second medically supervised injection centre in the city of Melbourne. This follows the recommendation from the independent review of the uh, supervised injection centre in Richmond to establish a second one in the CBD. As they mentioned last week, the survey actually closes today, so please have your say. Uh, you can do so by visiting the following website, engage.vic.gov.au forward slash MSIS, have your say, and we'll include the links in today's show notes. Uh, that's all that we have in terms of news headlines for today. Uh, we're going to play a song for you now. Uh, this song is Janelle Monet, the most iconic singer, and every music video she ever makes is incredible. So, um, for listeners who haven't checked this one out, um, definitely do. Uh, it's called Lipstick Lover. Lipstick Lover, 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 Lover,
Let me know I'm your number one select. I like lipstick on my neck. Hands around my waist so you know what's coming next. I wanna feel your lips on mine. I just wanna feel a little tongue. We don't have a long time. CR listeners, a quick note from Radio Skid Row. At Radio Skid Row, we believe in a world where everyone's voice is heard. We believe in honest, diverse media and social justice. It's more important than ever to support truth, creative thinking and radical community. Your support keeps the lights on and helps us broadcast into a dignified future for all. With 40 years under our belt, we're ready for 40 more. To donate, go to crowdfunding.startsomegood.com and click the Skid Row 40 campaign. Jazz. The Milky Way looks good in the night skies. The stars open a short for my dark eyes. Complex hey, I'm Lady Lash. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, the voice of the set. 3CR is so awesome, giving the platform for people's voices to be heard and people's gifts to be heard. And always remember that you are amazing. I'm dreaming of the seven moons. Oh, I see what's 
Jim Remold from the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons Australia spoke recently to Elise from Dirt Radio about some anti-nuclear news in light of budget, the budget announcement last week. This is on uh, funding in that budget for nuclear submarines. Uh, you're joined today by Elise Cunningham. I am the coordinator of the Sustainable Cities Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne. Today's topic is going to be the battle for Port Kembla, offshore wind versus nuclear submarines. So just a few short months ago, the Albanese government announced it will spend a massive $368 billion on six nuclear submarines. Not schools, not hospitals, not public transport, not renewable energy. $368 billion on nuclear submarines. And it's proposed that Port Kembla in New South Wales... Um, on Darawal country um, could become an East Coast base for these nuclear submarines. And the community is understandably uh, pretty upset about having a nuclear target painted on their back, with hundreds of workers, unions and community members rallying in Port Kembla over this past weekend calling for peace, jobs and justice. The message was clear, this is no place for a nuclear submarine base. Today's guest will be Jem Rommel from the International Campaign Against Nuclear Weapons and Wollongong Against Weapons and Nukes. Jem. Thanks for having me. So what is this AUKUS deal and what exactly is wrong with it? It is a big um, deal and I'm sure your listeners will be pretty familiar with it by now. It's been certainly in the media a lot over the last few months and years actually. Um, But just briefly, it's a military alliance between the U.S the UK and Australia, and it involves a high level of cooperation on all sorts of things, including importing and exporting weapons, sharing technology, um, having, you know, closer, uh, not necessarily just um, interoperability, but interchangeability between uh, at least the US and Australian militaries. Uh, And there's a, I'd say, the centrepiece of the agreement so far is the proposal for Australia to acquire nuclear-propelled submarines. So um, initially uh, buying three, but possibly five uh, US Virginia-class submarines in the the next decade. And after that, the the AUKUS Alliance is proposing to basically design a new submarine, um, which sounds like a bit of a fairy tale to me, but using a UK design with US weapons uh, and um, reactor uh, pieces and putting it together to create a new design of a submarine and Australia building those. Um, but that wouldn't be for a couple of decades. So, um, yeah, I guess I have issues with this proposal from a number of different perspectives. Um, we are deeply concerned about Uh, Australia being a new country to acquire nuclear-powered submarines, and these are uh, submarines that are powered with highly enriched uranium. Um, So that's uranium that's enriched to above 90%, and it's directly usable in a nuclear weapon. Um, Now, of course, the government is saying it's not interested in nuclear weapons, uh, but still, who knows what the next government or the government after that uh, will, will think about that. And it also paved the pathway uh, for uh, Australia to to break a precedent um, to be a new country to gain this material, which then other countries could could follow in Australia's suit. So um, Australia is 
using a pathway through the Non-Proliferation Treaty, which is the 1970 treaty, uh, and it is unprecedented. Um, only nuclear-armed countries so far have nuclear-powered submarines, um, but it would involve us using a loophole in that treaty that hasn't been used before uh, to be able to import this material and put it on submarines, and it would then be out of safeguards travelling the oceans. So it's a big challenge for the International Atomic Energy Agency, but they don't really have much of a choice. They have to try and negotiate with Australia to facilitate this. Um, and it also really goes against what Australia is supposed to be doing and what our government actually has been involved in, um, which is to reduce the amount of highly enriched uranium that exists in the world and the number of countries that have it. And instead, we're now saying, oh, we'll put our hands up and be a new country to gain this really controversial technology and material uh, for use in these submarines, which I would say is, is totally unnecessary. So um, can you tell us a bit more about uh, the rally? What was your message at the rally and how did that all go down? Yeah, the rally was really excellent. You know, I'm also part of a local group called Wollongong Against War and Nukes and we were helping to um, promote this rally, which was called by the the union peak body here, the South Coast Labor Council. Um, and there's usually a May Day in Wollongong every year, but this year they decided to move it to Port Kembla. And lots of people came down from as far as Newcastle and Sydney and Canberra to join us in Port Kembla with a really clear message that the community here does not want a nuclear submarine base. We have much better ideas for our port. Um, there are actually plans that have been worked on for many years to transition the port um, into being a hub for renewable energy and to transform the steelworks here. So there are many better ideas that we've been working on and the government has really just blindsided us by saying, oh, we might actually just compulsorily acquire this, this area for a, a military base and... Um, we don't want it. So I think that message was really clear on Saturday. There were a couple of thousand people here with lots of really creative signs and props, um, lots of union flags and speeches. Um, and it was just really an, an excellent day uh, with lots of media coverage, a giant inflatable nuclear submarine. Um, I also wanted to raise the issues with radioactive waste. Uh, these submarines will lead to high-level uh, radioactive waste that Australia then has to has to deal with. And the Defence Minister, Richard Miles, had said, oh, yeah, we don't have to worry about that now, and it'll be a remote facility, we'll deal with it in the future. Um, but we know that this government has a terrible record when it comes to dealing with radioactive waste. It's been decades now that the federal government has been trying to cite just low-level and intermediate-level waste um, at a remote facility and they've been trying to dump it on First Nations land and they've been knocked back by powerful First Nations-led campaigns every time. So in South Australia, the Northern Territory, again in South Australia, and then currently they're trying to build a facility at, at Kimber on Bangla country um, in South Australia. And the Bangla people are very much opposed to this. And I have zero trust that this, the Australian government can deal with, with high-level radioactive waste from nuclear submarines. I was reading yesterday, actually, Elise, that the UK has also, and the US, have really a lot of trouble dealing with the waste from their submarines. The UK currently has 21 nuclear submarines that are, um, have retired and they're just sitting in the water at docks. 
some of them have been there since the 1980s, so for 40 years, and they were only operational for 20 years, and they still have not been dismantled and dealt with. What chance does Australia have? But, yeah, my other message for the rally was that uh, when it comes to nuclear technology, things can and do go wrong, and it will be workers in the Illawarra that would be on the front line of any disaster or accident, um, and that we should work together with the communities up and down the East Coast to refuse the nuclear submarine base and um, demand that the government sign and ratify the Nuclear Weapon Ban Treaty, so the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, um, which is even more important in the context of AUKUS and the submarine acquisition because it would put legally binding um, guardrails up to make sure that... Uh, the Australian government can't do anything to support or host or acquire uh, nuclear weapons, both this government and future governments, and to bind us to a nuclear weapons-free defence policy. Absolutely. So, I mean, sounds like there is so much happening on the ground. And I guess, you know, it's quite clear from the fact that you said there were like thousands of people there over the weekend, I, I read that at the last May Day rally there was 750 people, so that huge jump in numbers is a clear indication that this is something that the community really cares about. And it's a very, you know, um, there's a lot of intersecting problems and a lot of knock-on effects that w- would be a result if this submarine base were to go ahead. So um, what what else is being done about the issue locally and how can people get involved? Mm, yeah, well, locally, we've got this group called WAWAN, which is a bit of an awkward acronym, but not as awkward as AUKUS, I must say. Um, and WAWAN uh, stands for Wollongong Against War and Nukes. And we're really just a, a coalition of local people. There are students, there are lecturers, there are um, all sorts of people in our group. And we've been campaigning about this um, for, you know, since the government announced that Port Kembla was one of three sites. So uh, it was the Morrison government that said Port Kembla, Brisbane and Newcastle are on the shortlist for an East Coast nuclear submarine base. Um, and then after that, it was at the beginning of this year that uh, the Albanese government just sort of inherited this shortlist. Um, and we were hearing on the ground here that uh, there were many defence contractors poking around the port, looking at things. There was a lot of conversations going on behind the scenes with the government. And we were hearing that there was an announcement for that this, the base would be at Port Kembla was imminent, like in the next few weeks. So we were really, really sort of a bit worried about that and organising to think of how we would respond. Um, since then, you know, there have been... We've had a couple of rallies. We had a rally outside a, a weapons industry conference um, a couple of months ago and the government said, oh, actually, we're not going to uh, make a decision imminently. We'll push it back till after the next election. Um, and then uh, just a few days before the rally on Saturday in Port Kembla, the government said, actually, we won't decide for the next decade and they will put all options on the table so it wouldn't necessarily be just Port Kembla, Newcastle and Brisbane, but potentially any port town um, up and down the East Coast. So I guess it feels like a bit of a a win because the heat has really come off Port Kembla, um, but it's still hanging over us and it's still hanging over the whole of the East Coast. 
Um, and this is really blocking, um, you know, I think will block progress to do the other things that we want to do here. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think we've, we've, what we want to see is the government to rule it out, to say, no, we won't put it in Port Kembla, and then we want to you know, work together with other communities in solidarity in other parts of the East Coast. Um, but essentially, if there are locals listening, which would be amazing, um, look up Wawan on Facebook, Wollongong Against War and Nukes, we meet regularly and we'll be our next meeting will be sort of taking stock and and thinking about what what comes next um, we're also we're not just concerned about this nuclear submarine base Elise we are also um, we don't want to see an increase in uh, weapons industries in this area uh, the Illawarra has a really strong history of activism for peace uh, and and that's what we want to continue that's the legacy we want to uphold. Um, so we we need to be um, very wary, and not just in Port Kembla and Wollongong, but everywhere, of the the creep of weapons industries into um, into industry, into our schools and universities, um, and that's something that we also really want to work against. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Gem, and for anyone up there in the Illawarra area up on Darawal country, do get involved with Wawan. Jem, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Elise. No worries. Thanks, bye. Yeah. That was Jem Romad speaking with Elise on Dirt Radio, discussing funding for nuclear submarines and the recent rally at Port Kembla. Elise will be joining us later in the show at 8.15, so make sure you're still tuning in then to hear from Elise. Next up, we're going to play a song by Wafia. Wafia Al-Rakabi is an Australian singer-songwriter of Iraqi-Syrian origin, and this is her latest single, In the Honey.
That was In the Honey by Wafia. And we will be right back after these messages with an excerpt from Doing Time. Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean-to-bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao, and cacao mass in bulk. A zero-waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Three CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings, cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. In a special episode of Doin' Time on May Day, Marissa spoke with activist and advocate Marianne McKay, who are Gabilia from the Wajak Noongar Nation, about the importance of the voices of people with lived experience, inequalities in securing work for Aboriginal people, such as unfair criminal history checks and lack of access to identity records. We're going to play that chat for you now. It's May Day 2023 and colonisation and the settler state are still in dominance. Aboriginal people are still being incarcerated more so than our non-Indigenous brothers and sisters. Employment is a distant dream for people who have been incarcerated. People are still dying in custody. Women and children suffer because of stolen generation. On the line, we have Marion McKay and I'd like to welcome her with all my heart. Hello, sis. Hey, Kaya, sis. Thanks for having me. Lovely to have you. So, tell us, what's going on with with work and Indigenous people? Lived experience is important, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's one thing, you know. It doesn't matter what gathering we go to or forums, conferences. That's one of the things that we always promote is that, you know, people with lived experience, you know, have as good a qualification as someone with a degree because, you know, lived experience is far more valuable than someone who's just learning from a, a textbook, you know. Um, and I don't say that to discredit anyone because I'm doing a law degree myself. But what my point in saying that is that we have a lot of issues and a lot of problems that are going on, you know, especially within the criminal justice system. And time and time again... Um, the government roll out these policies and these programs and provide these services that just don't benefit anyone because they're not actually yarning with the people who live and breathe this stuff. And who better to provide solutions to problems or issues than the people that are actually living through them? That's exactly right. And, and I mean, you and I were talking on off, off air today about how women and children, you know, suffer the most and they're all in prison, juvenile justice. How can they have good quality of work, life and, and also work? Well, yeah, that's right. You know, like, and I remember we were yarning about how you have men, women and, and children, you know, going through the prison system and through detention. 
you know, and a lot of people are having those barriers put up where they can't get work, where, you know, they would be able to benefit those that are walking the path that they have before, you know, after them. And this is what we always say to the Department of Justice and to other government departments. Things like working with children checks and the police clearances are barriers, you know, to people that have criminal records. You know, and these are the mob that would make the best mentors, you know, and provide... um you know, like information for policy change and things like that. And yet, because they can't get a police clearance or they can't get a working with children check, there are a lot of job opportunities that they miss out on where they would actually be qualified for those roles, you know. That's exactly right. And isn't it too that some Aboriginal people, you know, wouldn't even have a birth certificate because of what happened with the missions? Well, that's right. You know, so you would have a lot of people, and this is where licences and all those kind of things, licences, ID and stuff, passports, you know, people aren't getting access to these because they don't have birth certificates. You know, and it's hard because my two oldest have birth certificates, but the youngest five don't because they're my sovereign babies. But because my son has passed his learner's check through the Keys for Life at school, through part of our Clontarf Aboriginal football program, and I actually have to go and register him and get a birth certificate because he can't get his licence or his learner's permit to get his full licence without it. And that's just a birth certificate. It's like there's got to be ways around it, around all these things, you know. But you have mob that, you know, have... Like, my nan never had a birth certificate till I was 15. And you know, was... so there's a lot of lot of things like that that are just wrong and, and should be worked around... You know, there should be ways around them. Why, just so that listeners, to, to tell some listeners, probably wouldn't be aware of this, can you explain why some, particularly elders, don't have birth certificates? Well, because a lot of um, births were registered were registered through the missions, um, you know, like in the churches that were part of the missions, they documented um, a lot of this stuff. And so a lot of that information has either been lost or sealed, you know, and people don't have access to them. A lot of people, you know, you've got to actually apply to get your native welfare record and go through all these permissions and all this paperwork. And a lot of people have literacy and numeracy issues as well to be able to do that. And there's not a lot of support out there. And also, like, the government didn't want our population to continue to grow and prosper and and exist. Their plan was the white Australia policy to wipe us out. So if there was no records of existence, well, then they could just hide all those those babies that were born and keep them in the missions and introduce them to a life of slave labour. And it's still the same today, isn't it? Just in a different form. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. Like, you've got people being ripped off, you know, for their wages. You've got um, people in prisons and that, you know, being used as slave labour and getting a measly sum, you know, for their work. Like, so they could be getting a couple of dollars an hour for something that someone with a trade is getting 25 to $35 an hour for. And they're, they're selling products from outside, you know, from the prisons, and yet the people that are making them aren't benefiting. It's the prison system and all these private corporations that are getting contracts from the government to privatise these services and, and provide those services. 
for a profit. It's very true, and and I'm really glad that you've come onto the show just to talk about inequalities because, I mean, our non-Indigenous brothers and sisters don't need to worry about some of that, although although they're in poverty too. We can't we can't dispute that, but yes. at least they have you know birth certificates. Well, that's right, you know, and you have a lot of mob that have criminal records just because they were in a mission, you know, or Correct. some of those places, you know. So they were born into a life of so-called criminality, you know, and it's like it's not a crime to be born Aboriginal in this country. It shouldn't be a, be a crime to be an Aboriginal person anyway. We're stereotyped and profiled. And it goes right back to when our people... Hang on, honey, Mum's on the phone. And it goes right back to when our people were forced to work, you know, in those slave labour days. And then as soon as our people fought for their rights to be paid, then you had a lot of them being dismissed and losing their jobs because there was a lot of racism back then, way, way worse than what it is today, even though it's still bad, where white farmers didn't want to pay the blacks for work because they seen them as menial labour, like slaves, you know? And they and a lot of non-Aboriginal people wouldn't realise that Australia was part of the slave system and our Aboriginal people were used as slaves, you know, as wet nurses to, to watch kids, to clean white people's houses and, and work their farms and clear the land that was sacred to our people, you know? And, and, you know, used as black trackers. I am just so relieved that you've talked about that because that's such a really, really important thing to say, important things to say, I should say. Well, it is because a lot of the true history in this country isn't told. And, you know, the government always say that they're committed to a truth-telling process, you know, and it's like, well, where is your truth-telling process? Because all I see... You know, like is another um, recognised campaign being pushed in our face through the voice to Parliament. But that's a whole other issue. Well, it's connected. It is connected. Well, it is connected, but I say no to the voice to Parliament because we've already got national bodies that provide representations and their voices are ignored at the moment. So being in the Constitution is not going to change that, you know. There's no power. We don't have any legislative power under the voice to Parliament. So the government can just say, thanks for that. No worries. We'll look into it. Marianne, as usual, you have outdone yourself. Thank you so much for making everything so clear because it's it's oh, it's so important. No, you're right, sis. You know, I've got plenty sitting up in my head. I'm always happy to have a yarn, you know. <laughs> what <laughs> la- Can you tell us what land you're from as well, just so that we can, you know, listeners can find that out? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm from Noongar, Buja, Noongar country in the southwest of WA, so... Um, I'm from Wajak country, like that's where my main bloodline and physical connection is. So I live in Kunana, which is about half an hour um, south of Perth. So I'll like you... a little country town, but it's still metropolitan. Perfect. Now I'll let you go and go- do your school pick-up. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Yeah, no, no worries. I've got a three-year-old to rescue here. He's upset. <laughs> oh, okay. Enjoy. <laughs> Happy right, May Day. Yes, okay. Okay. Yeah, you too. See ya. Thanks. And that was Marianne McKay um, speaking about a lot of things, really, oppression and the inequalities between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people and really looking a lot about the true Aboriginal history of this country and the fact that there is slavery. 
So that was Marianne McKay talking with Marissa from Doing Time about the importance of voices of people with lived experience and inequalities in securing work for Aboriginal people. We will be right back after this. Things need topping up every now and then. More tea, auntie. Thanks, bub. Including your COVID protection. If you're an adult and it's been six months since you caught COVID or had a COVID jab, you can now top up with a free COVID-19 booster. It helps keep you and your mob protected from serious illness from COVID-19. So talk to your doctor or health worker about a free COVID-19 booster or visit health.gov.au forward slash top up to find out more. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. We're going to play a short set for you this morning, dedicating it to all the women and gender diverse people fighting systems of power. And with a special shout out to all the amazing people who join us on this show. Here's a track from Yuna off her latest album, Marcy Yuna. This one is called Camaraderie. Bila kau jumpa aku lagi Jangan kau buat terlupa Dengan apa yang telah kau beri Kata yang lahir dari bibir Bagaikan jarum, jarum kecil Menikam seribu kali Takkan ku lagi silap yang lalu
That was Los Angeles-based Malaysian singer-songwriter Yuna with Camaraderie from her newest Malay album since 2017, Marcy Yuna, all about returning to her roots. To unapologetically showcase her Malaysian heritage, this will be her first time releasing music in Malay after almost seven years. Next up, we're going to play another track. This one is by Nam-based R&B artist Solly, and it's Temporary Low. Up and down, down, down we go. It's a temporary low. Up and down, down, down we. Yeah. I know it's only 6:30 p.m., but my bed is calling me, and I can't ignore it no more. So I go. Don't got the energy for you and me. Sometimes anxiety beating me. It's not a one desire or a need. Maybe there's some purpose in where I've been I don't like it here So I can't light my dear But I'll keep fighting these temporary holes Temporary holes Yeah, 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 yeah Temporary Flow, let it go, ride the way, I'm in control, see so, been here before, up and down, down, down we go, free flow, let it go, ride the way, I'm in control, see so, been here before, up and down, down, down we go, I don't like it here, said I can't like my dear, but I'll keep fighting, That was, te- so- sorry, 
That song was Temporary Low by Solly. You can check out her music by searching Solly, S-O-L-I, on Spotify or Solly Satima on Instagram. Tennessee native Valerie June is one of the most versatile figures in Roots music, with her creative output ranging from award-winning albums to a new children's book. Work in Women's Blues is an anthem for the many women out there that are working hard and doing great things and changing the world one little day-to-day job at a time. That was Valerie June with Work in Women's Blues. Wrapping up a short set we wanted to share with you this morning. 
dedicated to all women and gender diverse people out there fighting against systems. At the top of that bracket, you heard Camaraderie by Yuna. Yuna is an LA-based Malaysian singer-songwriter, and that was, <clears throat> excuse me, of her latest album, Marcy Yuna, uh, which is recorded in Malay. In the middle there, you heard Temporary Low by Solly, and we just wrapped up, as I said, with Working Women's Blues by Valerie June. We'll be right back with an interview with Aisha Jago from Calf after these messages. On May 20, new anti-protest laws will come into effect in Victoria targeting forest protectors. Sign up to be part of a mass survey action to protect and restore forests and defend the right to protest. Surveying is the act of looking for threatened species in an area slated to be logged in order to trigger protections. All forest protectors, whether at protest camps or citizen scientists, are targeted with these new anti-democratic laws. To sign up, go to geco.org.au. Be a part of this epic survey action on Saturday the 20th of May so that we can protect and restore the critical forest ecosystems that we all depend on and defend the right to protest in the process. Goongra Environment Centre is a 3CR supporter. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. CR Tuesday Breakfast. The Campaign Against Racism and Fascism, or CAF, has been campaigning against the growing far-right movement in Victoria. Far-right groups have recently become more vocal about their racist views, including their anti-immigration stance, as well as using threats and intimidation to boycott LGBTQI plus events. Aisha Jago has been an organizer and activist with CAF for the last few years and is joining us on the show this morning to talk about last weekend's rally to support immigration and stop Nazis, as well as supporting LGBTQI plus events like Drag Storytime. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Aisha. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's um, start by just talking a bit about the rally last weekend. How was it? Um, tell us how it was organized and what happened. Yeah, so like the rally, I think was really like it was really great. So what we saw was like unfortunately, um, the National Socialist Network called a demonstration against immigration um, at Parliament steps on Saturday morning. So this was um, in response, I believe, um, and they said to the budget reply 
um, from last week, where the Liberal Party and Peter Dutton kind of attributed um, the housing crisis to increased immigration and said that we need to hold stop immigration, we need a smaller Australia um, if we want to kind of aid the housing crisis. So the National Socialist Network took up this line and they organised the demonstration. So the details of that and the leaflet for which was leaked about a day before it took place. But pretty quickly, like our group um, and a bunch of people on the left saw this um, and decided to mobilise uh, in opposition to stop them from taking parliament, but also to outnumber them um, to demonstrate that it's not a majority opinion um, that people think that we need to like stop immigration or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, what's the sort of relationship between the racism we see from the government, uh, you know, at, like you mentioned about the budget, um, and particularly from that party and these far-right movements? Yeah, like, I think a lot of people... Oh, like, it's generally assumed, like, the far right just kind of exists in this vacuum. There's a bunch of crazy to take up these really, like, wild talking points or something. But I think that's, like, incorrect. Like, they, you know, they don't just get their politics from nowhere. They're actually quite um, on the extreme of, I think, like, the mainstream. The things they take up are regurgitated from the right-wing positions a lot of the time of, you know, the centre-right. Um, so, the you know, the Liberal Party... When they take up positions like this, when they go on an anti-immigration sort of like tirade or even like in recent years when they've, you know, spoken, like used law and order campaigns to sort of build um, their party or as part of election campaigns, um, these talking points have also been taken up by the far right and the extreme right and the hard right all to try to build their projects as well, to take up the similar light that immigration is a problem, that we need to be that race is the issues in society, but that's the things we need to be mobilising around. That's what causes problems. So I think that, like, these sort of positions taken up by the right, yeah, like, aren't just, like, you know, ones that come out of nowhere. They generally just actually reflect um, what is sort of happening, some of the left and right debates that are happening right now in mainstream politics. And you can see, I mean... In the last few years, like, it's not just the Liberal Party <laughs> that's awful on the questions of immigration and refugees. Like, Labor has also been complicit and active in locking up refugees who um, come here by boat, refusing Tamil refugees, visas. I think it reflects a much, like, stronger kind of current that's actually happening in politics at the moment. Absolutely. I feel like um, the anti-immigration rhetoric is across the board, Mm. Um, you know, with different parties here and, and as well as in, in the US. And I feel like a lot of these um, movements kind of mimic what's going on in the US where there's a bit more of a breeding ground for far-right movements to kind of thrive a bit more. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think a lot of the... You can see some of their talking points have come from it. And even just yesterday, um, I believe it was yesterday or two days ago now, there was a really horrific display that happened in, in Dublin, in Ireland, where, like, a refugee encampment, a homeless encampment was rioted against by the far right. It was burned down. Um, and, yeah, like, activists there reported kind of similar things, that the people on the far right sort of side of this, the people who instigated this demonstration against immigration, were using those points about, you know, you guys are all Antifa, you guys are all paid NGOs working for the government or something. Um, all these talking points that come from the United States and their far right. 
Um, so I think it's been, like, pretty influential. But I think we can't, um, like, also discount, yeah, like, the impact Australia has had, like how Australian border policies inspired the likes of Donald Trump is being implemented now in the UK with their kind of resettlement plans um, for Rwanda, just like we have our offshore detention facilities. So um, it's pretty horrific. Yeah, I think that in a way as well, it's important to note that Australia kind of um, flies under the radar a little bit globally. Um, people always look to the US and while, yeah, there's definitely links, I feel like the rest of the world isn't quite, hasn't quite cottoned on to how draconian Australian immigration policies have always been historically. You know, um, like right-wing governments all over the world have, have realised that, um, but yeah, it's not something that's like as commonly yeah. <laughs> spoken about anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I feel like it's just an important thing to sort of note because I feel like there's always talk about the links to the US, which definitely exist. But, you know, we have our own um, brand of racism happening here and it's always been here. So that's important to keep in mind as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as you said before, the cost of living is now being blamed on immigration, um, which is, again, it's an age old tactic. And I feel like... Mm. Um, it's almost like a dog whistle from the government or like the opposition or whoever really, um, where they kind of have these veiled racist comments and then, you know, the far right hears what they're saying and then is out in the streets with much more explicit versions of that same thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what they said. Like, a lot of the reporting on it, um, like, I haven't seen any reporting that's actually attributed... um, that the reason they have had this demonstration is, you know, because of this nod from um, the centre-right is because of the sort of budget reply making this explicit. They kind of said that Peter Dutton pointed this out, that it's immigration that's leading to housing crisis, and that's why they had their demonstration. But um, I suppose, yeah, it's a lot easier to kind of imagine that the far-right just gets their ideas from elsewhere, that it's not a product of actually, like, live political debates that are happening right in front of us. Exactly, and it's a you know really old tactic to deflect blame from the people who are actually to blame. Yeah, definitely. Like it's a way to just sort you know like divide us um, rather than you know seeing when you see like we're in this significant yeah cost of living crisis, housing crisis, to try to get ordinary people to blame each other um, rather than point the finger at the government who are the ones that are actually you know putting three hundred and sixty-eight billion dollars into nuclear submarines and having a really pathetic <laughs> package that barely alleviates um, the cost of living crisis for even the people struggling the most, let alone most working-class Australians. Exactly. It's a really harmful rhetoric, um, but it's. I just feel like it's so been done that I hope people are cottoning on to the fact that it's, um, yeah, it's a deflection tactic and always has been. Yeah, um, and I mean, the demonstration, like, we significantly outnumbered them, you know, like, the Nazis were moved off by the time their rally was supposed to start. So hundreds of people who came out on Saturday um, to, to say what you said, to say that this is abhorrent, what the Nazis are calling for, what the centre-right in Australia is calling for as well, and that um, we need to stand up and fight back. Definitely, and that's so important to do at the moment. I feel like um, there's been a real emboldening of the far-right you know, because of what we've been talking about. So um, opposing them in any which way is super important. Um, another thing that they've been 
sort of trying to campaign against is LGBTQI plus events, um, particularly mm-hmm. drag story time happening at libraries for kids. Can you tell us what's been happening with this and why, you know, they've been getting cancelled across Melbourne? Yeah, like, well, race is definitely something that, like, the far right, like, historically, like, verbalised around. It is still an issue they do. Um, I think, like, yeah, LGBT issues... Um, and at the moment, like drag story time, which is yeah, definitely LGBT adjacent, is being significantly attacked um, by the far right and by Nazis just all over the country. So it's another thing that um, I think sort of began in the United States, um, but it's become a real touchstone issue. So just um, yesterday, it was announced that the Elson Library drag story time that was happening tomorrow on Idaho Day was being moved online due to threats and stuff, and. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were organising a demonstration to defend um, the Oakley Library Jag Story Time event that was planned for this Friday. So, unfortunately, you know, like the far right have been um, organising around this, trying to sort of ramp up this like anti-LGBT rhetoric. Same like old arguments they've used about groomers, um, about people specifically around children, mm. um, that these events aren't appropriate for children, that anything that sort of presents, um, like talks about gender inclusive or um, like different sexualities or whatever, that this is somehow dangerous. So I think that these like gender and the nuclear family, sexism, all these things have also been just historical organising points for the far right and the drag story times have been kind of like a real um, sticking point for them. So there's been about I mean, the person, um, the drag performer that was supposed to perform at Alfam, and we'll be doing some online tomorrow, like they've had five events cancelled for that day due to councils bowing down to the pressure from the right, um, which is a really, like, awful, awful trend. I believe that these councils are just, like, <laughs> listening to the far right, cancelling LGBT events, giving them wins, um, and sending a message that, like, basically LGBT events in Melbourne can barely be held um, without the councils and those um, who, like, help organise it or authorise them, um, without them just cancelling them as soon as the far right put a tiny bit of pressure on. Yeah, it doesn't sound, um, you know, promising for the cause in any way, and I think it's really important, again, to you know, make make sure that people are, the community is visibly opposing this and fighting mm. against it, you know, um, it's the same thing again, really. It's like a uh, goes against. It's it's basically just a lie that they're using to deflect from the reality of what what things are. So um, mm. very important to to stand your ground and refuse to cancel things like drag story time, which are just nothing but you know a nice event for young kids. Um, uh, library workers at Elsom Library are, have been standing their ground and refusing to fully yeah. cancel. Drag story time, which is great. It's scheduled for 12 p.m. tomorrow on Wednesday. Um, how can listeners support this event and help support council and library staff? You know, even in the future from from cancelling these events. Yeah. So, um, I mean, tomorrow's event, like the, the community is still rallying in support of it, um, despite it being moved online. So, if people like people should definitely turn out for that um, if they can. I think that. Yeah, like what you mentioned about library workers being quite staunch um, at Alton Library about this. This is pretty common amongst library workers across Melbourne at the moment. So I think it's important to support them as well. So 
Um, the demonstration that we called, like, the Australian Services Union, who covers, like, council library workers, should endorse that. And they've indicated that, yeah, like, they're, you know, angry and rightfully so that library workers are being threatened by um, the far right in this way. They have a right to put on LGBT events. So I think supporting um, and talking to your librarians about this, but also, yeah, mobilising in demonstrations whenever this happens. So coming out in support of these events when the far right threaten them, um, you can do that with the campaign against racism and fascism where we'll be keeping a close eye on these things and mobilising um, to defend these sorts of drag story time events and other LGBT events that are threatened by the right, which unfortunately I think we'll see a bit more of now we're approaching um, Pride Month. Mm. So, yeah, just like keep a lookout. And I think we just need a like, the best way is to demonstrate is to actually come out in numbers to show that the far right are quite minuscule compared to what majority opinion is on this. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, Asia, that's all we have time for this morning, but thank you so much for joining us and talking us through this very important issue. Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much for having me. So that was CAF organiser Asia Jago talking to us about fighting the far right's anti-immigration and anti-LGBT agenda. You can support Drag Storytime happening at Eltham Library tomorrow by emailing messages of solidarity to eltyprl at yprl.vic.gov.au and you can follow CAF on Instagram at calf.melbourne and get involved in any future anti-fascist um, actions that they are always organizing around Nam. We'll be right back after this. The Milky Way looks good in the night sky. The stars open a short for my dark eyes. Hey, I'm Lady Lash. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, the voice of the set. 3CR is so awesome, giving the platform for people's voices to be heard and people's gifts to be heard. And always remember that you are amazing. I'm dreaming of the seven moons. Oh, I see what's Accented women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accent women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the... How the can country. people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are, two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. There's kind of a lot of a lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well, particularly in terms of the way that we imagine, for example, essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving. Um, and how those how those function. If we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very very sort of different forms and very you know important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture of normative heteronormative family life, but how so many of the of the affordances or the restrictions or the kind of the, the government governmental sort of imagining of the way that we should live and what we need to live and what we need to survive really is shaped around heteronormativity. You know, it's around the family life in the suburb, as opposed to many, you know, single 
individuals who have shared queer family, both sexual and community connections that sustain them and that kind of give them give them life and give them give them sort of energy and comfort and safety and security and support. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. This week, Friends of the Earth is organising back-to-back actions for climate and transport justice. These actions involve rallying outside the Japanese consulate to call on the Japanese government to end its promotion of fossil fuels and commit to real climate action, gathering on the steps of Parliament House to continue the fight for bus reform, and the campaign for better buses for Mount Atkinson Estate residents in Truganina, western suburb of Nam, Melbourne. Joining us this morning to talk about, uh, to talk us through these campaigns is Elise Cunningham, who is a community organiser, coordinator of Friends of the Earth Melbourne's Sustainable Cities Collective and a host of Jet Radio here on 3CR. Thank you for joining us, Elise. No worries at all. Thank you so much for having me. So tomorrow, Wednesday, 17 of May, is going to be a big day of community action. Firstly, there'll be the gathering outside the Consulate General of Japan on Burke Street to call upon the Japanese government to end its commitment to fossil fuel expansion. It's important to note that the 49th G7 summit is set to take place in Hiroshima this weekend. Can you tell us more about this? Yeah, absolutely. So not many people actually know this, but the government of of Japan is actually one of the largest financers of fossil fuel development globally. Um, And their new energy strategy um, sees a lot of investment in gas and coal to hydrogen projects. Um, So our allies in Japan, Fossil Free Japan, as well as Friends of the Earth Japan, um, have declared a week of action in the lead up to the G7 um, summit in Hiroshima. So um, the action that's going to be taking place at the Consulate General of Japan tomorrow uh, is actually one action of many that will be held at consulates um, around the globe. And, um, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty important to um, show up and um, we'll be having uh, speakers from community groups um, as well as some of the community who live out in the Latrobe Valley, which is where um, there's a big coal to hydrogen project that's actually being funded by the Japanese government. And, you know, this is an area where there's been a long-term campaign for a just transition. And, yeah, this project is just going to see major air pollution in the area as well as um, exacerbation of climate change. Mm, I think that's... It's really interesting that obviously standing in solidarity with those in Japan is amazing, but it is something that will ultimately impact us all. So I think, yeah, having people across the globe at consulates taking action is great. Also tomorrow there'll be a rally held at Parliament Steps to continue to put pressure on the state government to introduce bus reform, especially in the West. Can you tell us about the state of public transport in the western suburbs at the moment and what residents are asking for? Yeah, um, so the state of public transport in the west is pretty appalling, to be honest. Um, there's, there's some areas where there's just no public transport at all, um, and that's particularly in these 
newer development. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that's really been increasing social isolation and really sort of disconnecting people in the West from their communities and from, you know, connecting in with community activism, um, as well as also limiting their sort of um, exposure to jobs and education and other sort of services like that. So the community is really just calling for even just a bus in their area (laughs) so that they can get around the community. Um, It'd be something that would be really helpful for parents. You know, I've, I've spoken to um, a single mother quite recently who's got two kids, one in high school, one in primary. Um, and she's spending 150 bucks a week on petrol at the moment because she's got to take one of her kids to high school and the other one to primary school. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's also, I guess the reason we're having this rally now is in response to some recent sort of um, announcements that we've seen that there's going to be major funding cuts to major public transport projects like the airport rail, which would um, have had a really massive benefit to communities in the West because there would have been a bunch of new train stations being built. But now we know that's being sort of kicked down the line. Um, so we are saying that now is really the time to invest in bus reform because it's, you know, cost a fraction of an, another major public transport project, mm-hmm. but it would have such an immediate um, life-changing effect um, for communities all over the state, but yeah, particularly in the West, which is you know one of the fastest-growing areas in the country. So it's just really urgently needed. Mm. Yeah. I mean, with what you're saying, that's the thing that stuck out, uh, stood out to me the most. Really, is mm. that it is this area that has expanded in the last decade, in particular, and that it's thoroughly disappointing that such a fundamental, basic need and right is not factored into that. With all of yeah. these conversations with climate change and cost of living, like it just seems like a, a very smart move to invest into buses. But um. well, exactly. I mean, it's also an area where there's you know a really large um, migrant population. There's a lot of new migrants who um, move over, sort of wanting this like you know Aussie dream sort of a life, and then they get there and they're quite shocked that there's mm. not even public transport in the area. Um, there's also a lot of areas of the West that are sort of living with quite a um, higher level of socioeconomic disadvantage compared to other areas of Melbourne. So um, for a lot of folks, either, you know, they can't afford a car and they have no other option but to take public transport or they're forced to depend on their cars or have, you know, a family with three or, three or more cars. Mm. Um, which, you know, obviously then they're spending close to $2 a litre on petrol at the moment. So, yeah, it's just something that really kind of entrenches and exacerbates that um, inequity. So as much as our campaign, um, it's also an environmental campaign. I mean, transport is the second largest and fastest growing source of emissions in the country. So it's if the state government is serious about meeting its um, net zero emission targets by 2045, then investment in public transport is really crucial at the moment and um yeah we're really hoping to see see more of it and see some electric buses um running around the western suburbs sounds amazing um (laughs) speaking of bus reform the sustainable cities collective has another event coming up on saturday can you tell us more about this one yeah sure thing so that's actually out in one of the estates that i mentioned before where there's zero public transport at all Um, It's a series of events that we're doing called a bus marathon. So we did one 
uh, about a month ago in an estate called Mamber in, in the Werribee area. And this one's going to be in Mount Atkinson, which is in Truganina, but it's sort of actually out towards Melton. Um, and the idea is that we gather decision makers along with the community in those areas and take a walk to the nearest bus stop, which for these folks, uh, it's about 30 to 40 minutes, maybe even further down a 70k road with no footpath. <laughs> um, wow. So we probably won't take everyone all that way because <laughs> it's, it's actually quite dangerous. Um, and yeah, and then the estate itself, there's, there's yeah, no buses running through it besides a small sort of community van run by the um, developers who built the estate. Um, so yeah, we'll be doing that this Saturday at 11am and um, yeah, that's the events this week. There's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if there are listeners who would like to support Friends of the Earth but are unable to get down to these events, how can we show our support? Yeah, so um, if you head to our website, melbournefo.org.au, there's all the different pages of all the different um, campaigns and collectives. We're actually running an end of financial year fundraiser at the moment as well, so any sort of small donation that people can chip in um, is really, really helpful for, you know, a real grassroots NGO that runs on the smell of an oily rag. Um, and, yeah, if you want to hear a bit more, I guess, particularly also about the work that Sustainable Cities is doing, I'll be on again in um, at 9.30 for Dirt Radio interviewing Ian Laurie, who is a um, University of Melbourne academic, and we'll be talking about some recent contract changes um, to the bus network, which... I think for most people it sounds a bit boring and we don't pay attention, but it's actually a pretty significant change. So, yeah, please have a listen to that if you can as well. Yes, everyone should tune back in at 9.30 to catch that episode of Dirt Radio. Um, Elise, that is all we have time for this morning, unfortunately, but thank you so much for joining us on the show. No worries at all. Thank you so much for having me. We just heard from Elise Cunningham, coordinator of Friends of the Earth Melbourne's Sustainable Cities Collective, speaking to us about the huge day of community action planned for tomorrow, Wednesday 17th of May. For more information, please go to melbournefo, that's melbournefoe.org.au slash events. Make sure you tune in at 9.30 today to catch Elise on Dirt Radio. And that brings us to the end of our show this morning. We've had a big show, as always. Um, Ivka, did we want to do a quick rundown of what happened on the show this morning? What did we start off with? Absolutely. So we started off hearing from Jem Rumold speaking with Elise that we just heard from on previous episode of Dirt Radio, discussing funding for nuclear submarines and the recent rally at Port Kembla. We also heard Maria speaking with Marianne Mackay on Doing Time about the importance of voices of people with lived experience and inequalities in securing work for Aboriginal people. We then heard from CAF organiser and activist Aisha Jago, who spoke to us about fighting the far right's anti-immigration and anti-LGBT agenda. And I just spoke with Elise Cunningham, coordinator of Friends of the Earth Melbourne's Sustainable Cities Collective, informing us about the day of community action planned for tomorrow, Wednesday, 17th of May. That is our show for this morning. Um, if you did miss it, you can find our podcast uh, later today at 3cr.org.au slash Tuesday-breakfast. Um, Accent of Women, as always, is coming up next, and stay tuned the rest of the week to 
all the other breakfast shows at 7 a.m. We'll be back next Tuesday. Three CR is radical radio. Through our on-air content and community structure, we promote real change for workers' rights, gender equality, environmental action, disability justice, and on racism and First Nations sovereignty. Do you want to be part of real radical change? We need you to subscribe. It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, $150 for a band or organization, and $300 solidarity. Call 03-9419-8377. That's 9419-8377. Or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.